everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We do this every day. We are Lauren McMinn and Olivia Grugan, virtual learning specialists at the World of Learning Institute. The World of Learning Institute provides virtual world language instruction and other courses like calculus or chemistry when it is difficult for a school or district to find a teacher. We are here to talk to you about what we do every day to make virtual learning authentic, relevant, and engaging. You can contact our program supervisor, Dr. Pat Mulroy at pmulroy at worldoflearninginstitute.com for more information. This is Olivia. And speaking of Pat, this is Pat's podcast, as you may have noticed if you're a former listener. So this is Lauren and my podcast takeover. Pat is away at meetings today, and we have been talking a lot about what our dream class or learning experience would look like. We have these ideas brewing, and so we wanted to share them today. Lauren, can you tell me about a dream experience that you've had either as a student or an instructor, um, just a really wonderful learning experience that you've had in one of those roles that you think kind of um, in some way stood apart from others, had a different set of ingredients than others? Yes. Um, I always think back fondly to this um, year I spent course creating with um, a, a Spanish instructor at a brick and mortar school that I was working at. Um, for a bit of context, I was hugely pregnant with my second son <laughs> and, and tired. <laughs> and she was, I think, a second year teacher fresh out of college, basically. And um, she brought this great energy. And we only taught those two languages at the school, French and Spanish. And um, we decided we we wanted we had so much freedom in our roles. We were really lucky to be able to design our course content the way that we wanted to teach. And um, we thought, you know, what? we're just going to totally redesign level one. Um, let's start with what we want the students to be able to do and go backwards from there. So we did the full like you know backwards design, and um, we were really inspired by this uh, blog called the Creative Language Class. And they had something that they called real world homework. And so we sort of anchored this idea of real world homework with every unit that we taught. And the way that real world homework works is that students at the beginning of the unit, whatever the topic of study is, you know, in language classes, we tend to kind of chunk material by um, themes, you know, like family or town, like hobbies. Um, so at the beginning, the students get a one pager that has all these different sort of like icons and inside them, they have things like um, if you're studying food, one of the real world homework prompts would be, you know, um, find a restaurant in town that serves um, food from a country that speaks the language that you're studying, right? Um, and, and take a picture of the menu. And um, they had to get, you know, something like there might be 15 prompts on there, they had to get 10 by the end of the unit. And it was also a great thing for teachers, just really practical if there was ever a time when maybe homework wasn't, maybe that night you might say, hey, just work on your real world homework. You know, if there was something that it was like, they maybe they had a quiz that day and you wanted to kind of keep things light that evening. Um, and students really enjoyed it, I feel like. Um, you know, it was one of those things where they, it got them thinking about French in my case, or Spanish with my colleague, you know, about language in their community outside of the classroom, um, you know, taking pictures of shampoo bottles that say, you know, wash, rinse and repeat in French. Um, but it was really cool. You know, I just thought that that um, really opened my eyes to making language more relevant. I mean, when you think about language, you know, it's like, oh, I want to be able to visit those countries and speak the language with locals one day. I mean, that's, 
a lot of people dream of that. Um, but it's not always possible, right, when you're in the first level of the language. And so being able to bring the language to them in ways that were, you know, approachable, manageable, that felt really, really good. I loved that. What about you, Olivia? Well, I have to make a connection to the shampoo bottle because I feel like that's my French. That's like the extent of my French is that I'm always really happy with myself when I can like figure out what the shampoo bottle says. Of course, I have like lots of cog cognates and context. But, yes. <laughs> um, I think it's great that you recognized those skills for the students. Yeah. yeah. I also had an opportunity to teach in a, with a lot of freedom and very few constraints. I taught at a summer program a few years in a row that was through the University of Pittsburgh for high school kids. And it was students were interested in healthcare. So most of their classes, they were learning about healthcare and they were with the doctors and they were in the hospital, but they had some um, like interdisciplinary classes where somebody who had a different background would come and talk about where that intersects with healthcare. So I came as a social studies teacher and taught government and civics and things like that. And I designed a class called Hippocrates in court, which was to make reference to the ancient ethicist, maybe doctor who sort of um, is attributed with the do no harm phrase, though I don't think that's anywhere in his actual writing, but that ethical kind of idea. And then the court being the Supreme Court. So how do we take these ethics in medicine and how does the Supreme Court look at them? So we, the whole course was, it's five weeks, I think, and it was all, um, well, there was preparation for role play. So the students were assigned um, tasks within the structure of the Supreme Court and roles within the structure of the Supreme Court. And then they used the evidence and looked at some real cases that the Supreme Court has heard on things like stem cell research, physician-assisted death, donation of organs or bone marrow, um, medical power of attorney, like if someone is in a, not able to make decisions for themselves. And um, the, the final performance task was that they had to hear a, a, an actual case um, in front of the rest of their classmates in this program, right? And they sat in the front and they wore black graduation robes to look like they were Supreme Court justices. And I had a meat hammer from my kitchen that I gave them to back on the table. So um, all of the theater was in it too. And these are high school juniors and seniors who wanted to go into healthcare. So I think the transfer power was pretty strong. Like they, they knew at least as much as you do as a, as a senior in high school that that was the field they wanted to go into. And so as future nurses or doctors, they would come across some of these cases. These weren't wild and crazy cases, right? They would come across some of these issues and either have to make a decision that aligns with their you know, ethics and morals and their vows that they take, or the commitments they make as a healthcare professional and, of course, um, with the legal system. So I think it had really practical application. And I think that motivated the students to stay engaged throughout. That's really cool, Olivia. And the meat hammer is a great touch. I mean, sometimes it's the little things, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, I think about too, you know, we all come to our teaching experiences, you know, with all these, you know, things that we've done and, um, I've been inspired by what I see happening in our courses right now, currently. Um, you know, we, we have this history. We also have things that are happening in the present. Um, I think about the conversation partners uh, that you've helped uh, arrange with our Arabic classes. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's through a partnership with Nata Kalam, and we've been able to partner our classes with a conversation partner who is a refugee adult living in um, a country that they is, of course, not their country of home or choice. And 
So they're Arabic native speakers as a first language, though many of them have other language skills as well. And our students get to meet with them in Zoom, even you know across time differences and country differences. And um, they get to take their Arabic language skills, but apply them asking someone about their life experience within the context of a refugee. So we do preparation in that unit around what is a refugee? What's the UN's definition of a refugee? You know, what counts and doesn't count, quote unquote. And um, why might someone, what are some of the statistical reasons someone might become a refugee so that when they ask specific questions of our conversation partner, they can find out how that person does or doesn't fit into some kind of global trend, right? Are they sort of representative of a trend or are they an exception in some way? But it contextualizes using really the discipline of social studies um, politics and history and geography to contextualize their what's ultimately going to be pretty much novice level language practice. They're going to say things like, what is your name? Where are you from? But it's going to feel more sophisticated because they're able to engage with it as 16 and 17 year olds, not as two and three year olds learning their first language, right? Yeah, to me, that has that trifecta, like the themes that we're, I'm connecting here are like that um, real world experience, actually talking to someone, you know, a real person. Um, and then also that sort of social historical knowledge that you need to be able to relate to their experience or understand their experience. Um, and then the language piece, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, learning how to communicate with them in the language that you've been studying. Um, and that kind of gets me thinking about what we're dreaming about for the future at the world of learning, right? We're thinking about these yeah. cross-curricular classes. Yeah, I think we've just been realizing that like a lot of the districts that we work with who that, you know, are finding themselves in a difficult position with regards to finding language teachers are not only, you know, that, that's true in other subject areas too, but even not in the context of any kind of struggle that districts are having, which is a tempting topic to talk about these days in public education, but just even in like, what is good pedagogy and what is good learning and what do our young people want? They want they ask us every day, how is this going to apply in the real world? What am I supposed to do with this? And so the more siloed that our subjects are, the harder it is the learner and the teacher have a lot of responsibility for making those connections to transfer to the real world. Whereas mm -hmm. when the subject itself is more integrated, those connections are inherent and you don't have to go that extra mile to tell somebody how the math problem is going to apply to the real world because you've already applied it in the context of the class. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you and I have been like, we've played around with some classes that are completely fictional at this point, though they probably exist yeah. somewhere out there. Someone's probably come up with this before. Yeah. But do you want to tell us about, or you want to tell our listeners about some of those? Sure. So um, the first one that we've talked about is Holocaust and human behavior. Psychology, history, and German um, being the, the topics covered. Um, do you want to elaborate at all on that, Olivia? Yeah, I've dreamt about this class for a while because I'm a social studies teacher and I speak German. So it, you know, is a, a cross section for me. But I think teenagers are really interested in psychology and how social and uh, sociology too, right? So how social communities work as well as how individual people think and work. And so this would take that psychology and apply it directly to a period in history. In this case, the Holocaust, but you could choose any period in history, right? Mm -hmm. um, history is a hard subject to to demonstrate why it's important. That's like, that's the big struggle for social, that's my experience. That's the struggle for social studies teachers. So if you bring this psychology piece in, well, here's why this is important because we're gonna think about how humans act under a certain type of pressure. Mm -hmm. And now it becomes relevant for today because even if we're not experiencing those historical features, we can imagine 
how similar features are, might affect our, us psychologically or might impact us. And then German, I think, falls in that category too, where sometimes if you, if you are traveling, like you mentioned earlier, you might wonder, where, when am I going to get to use this German or how am I going to get to use it? Well, in history, primary sources are so important. So now if you have the language, you can look at maybe a journal entry that was written by somebody living during that time period, and you can see what words they actually chose to use in, in German or in a, in a native language, rather than what those translated words might have, what might look like. Definitely. I know you've been really excited um, with the, the developments for the Latin program. Um, this course called Living on Mount Olympus with Latin, English literature, and ancient history. And you also have the social studies background where I just think you get fired up about things like this too, right? I do get fired Well, social studies is like, I just think the funny thing about being a social studies teacher is you're certified to teach so many different things that you may or may not know anything about, but it's like <laughs> history and geography and econ and psychology. And so ancient, yeah, yeah, ancient history, man, I mean, that's another one. Like, why am I learning this? What do I, what does this have to do with real life? But Myths are so compelling to all ages and have been through all ages. So looking at ancient history through myths and having a Latin teacher there to do it with so that, again, you can see it in its, you know, in the original language. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe an English literature teacher or someone who feels comfortable in that area to help appreciate, you know, the linguistic things that are going on. Because if you're a, a novice or, or even an intermediate Latin learner, you might not be able to go as deep as your cognition would allow you as a 16 or 17 year old. So the Latin will give you that kind of, in, you know, you'll get to appreciate the rhyme and the rhythm in a way you can't in the translation. But then if you can flip back to the translation and look at English, I think you can go a little deeper on your like critical thinking. So I feel like that can be frustrating for high school kids to have be kind of constrained by their language abilities sometimes. So this would open that up maybe and would be a cool trio of teachers and experiences. Really cool, love it. And Lauren, I'll take the reins yeah. on the last one, or I'll, <laughs> I'll direct it back to you. So we've been talking about, um, you know, we really wanna expand into the sciences because we know that's an area that districts are looking for support. So you're a French teacher, so how can mm -hmm. French and science cross? Yes, um, what about Marie Curie, right? Experimenting in French, the amazing life of Marie Curie. So. French, she was the first female professor at the Sorbonne. Um, she became, she was born actually in Poland, but became a, a French citizen. Um, with science, you've got the, the chemistry and the physics that she did. You got radium, radiation, and then history. You know, what role did she play um, with the science that, you know, she worked on? Um, I think that students, you know, and we talk about, would this be a semester course, right? You know, if you delve into something in, this level of detail, um, but lay the foundation for learning more and having more touch points to be able to learn. So from that, you know, you might be studying just one person, but how did her life impact female scientists, you know, over time? You know, there's many, I think it's just one part in a big web. And that's why these courses are really cool because that interdiscipline approach um, gives you the power to then go outward. Um, and so right. important to show, like, especially our female students examples, right? We know this yes. of, of um, female scientists. I just saw an article yesterday about how those gender stereotypes around STEM are like very set by eight years old. So mm -hmm. maybe this needs to be an elementary school course. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So we, you know, and, and we were talking about this, you know, I, I was, when we were thinking about the interdisciplinary approach, I was thinking about, you know, I went to Juniata, um, liberal arts college. 
And we had a required course that we needed to take that was taught by, um, it was, they were team taught by three different professors um, in different disciplines. So the one that I took was taught by a physics professor, a history professor, and a peace and conflict studies professor. Um, and we were talking about um, World War II and you know how did those different disciplines all help us look at World War II through that lens. Um, and so those different lenses, I should say. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we talked about why, why is it until you get to college that some, in most cases that you get to really get to the good meaty stuff. So when you say that elementary students can totally handle um, these topics, absolutely. Um, I think about my little kindergartner um, last year when it, they, they, they studied apples and it was, you know, the Dr. Seuss book, 10 apples up on top, counting with apples. And then the science, like how does an apple tree grow? What are the stages of that, the seed? and the blossom, the fruit, um, and then making applesauce, you know, uh, following the steps of a recipe. Um, I think that that, when you take that sort of them thematic approach, but then with different disciplines, it's really immersive, really cool, relevant learning experience that I would love to do. Yeah, because we're not, we don't start out in life knowing anything about disciplines. You have to be taught mm -hmm. that disciplines exist. You have to be taught to separate <laughs> stuff out. Such a good that's point. Not where you, that's not where you start. You start with it all integrated. Right. Right. So, right. yeah. Let's go back right, to well, basics. <laughs> we've got a lot of course building work to do. We do. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for listening to us. And um, as Pat likes to, to remind you at the end that um, you can find us um, on Substack at um, patmolroy.substack.com. Um, we'll have an overview of this video linked to our latest newsletter, um, highlighting some of the resources that we've talked about today. Um, and you can find us at theworldoflearninginstitute.com. Um, thanks again, and come back and visit us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Olivia. Thank you, Lauren.